Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams' is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap. Spot. Kick away. High enough. Long enough. It's good! It's good! Carolina has won the game on a 42-yard field goal by freshman Hunter Burr. Good gosh, dirty. This is the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome in to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's Anthony Pagnata with you guys as always, and today we are joined by the man himself, the voice of your North Carolina Tar Heels for Learfield IMG College. It is Jones Angel, and first of all, Jones, I like to do uh, this every time, you know, with everything that's been going on with COVID-19. How's the Angel family been hanging in there with everything that's been going on during the pandemic? Uh, Has everybody stayed healthy and uh, kept their sanity during this time? Yeah, Anthony. First of all, good to be with you as always. And yeah, man, it's been it's been a challenging time uh, for us, just like it has been for everybody. And you know, we've had uh, some family members that have been uh, affected by COVID, unfortunately. And uh, but we're uh, trying our best uh, to stay safe and continue to move forward. And um, yeah, trying to also. Uh, handle things uh, from the Tar Heel Sports Network uh, side of things too. So um, we're, we're chugging along and, and trying to stay as safe and as healthy as possible while also uh, getting everything done that, that we need to do. I hope you're doing well. Hope uh, your family's doing okay. Hope everybody's uh, family's doing well and gosh, hope we can uh, get through this thing here in the near future. Yeah, that's uh, definitely the way I feel as well. Uh, yeah, you know, the family's been doing well. We had our own bout that we went through, unfortunately, around Christmas time. So uh, we got through it though. That that's the good news, but uh, yeah, it just it hurts to see so many people that have been affected by this, not only in the Tar Heel community, but outside of the Tar Heel community as well. And look, you know, the, the season, uh, you know, Carolina was able to get through it. They had played 12 games this, this year. The only game that was affected due to COVID-19 was the matchup that was supposed to take place in Keenan Stadium against the Charlotte 49ers due to an issue with their program. But even though this, you know, Carolina was able to get through it, this was far from a normal regular season. And I imagine Imagine, uh, you know, I talked to Lee Pace the other day, and he, he described it as something that he's never really seen before. It was just very strange. What was your feeling that first time that you walked into Keenan Stadium after a year where Carolina was one of just seven teams to sell out the entire season, and you walk into that game against Syracuse, and it's it's you, Lee, a couple other journalists, and some cardboard cutouts? 
Yeah, it was definitely unique. And, and, and first of all, I think, you know, we really should give credit to Carolina um, for its ability to, to play this season out and, and to not have um, many distractions and many disruptions and, and have zero disruptions that had to do with, with the Tar Heels. And so, um, you know, that's not to say that Carolina did things smarter or better than anybody else, but what they did do is that they stayed committed um, to the things that you have to do to give yourself the best chance to stay healthy. And I think that really comes down to an individual uh, responsibility and for every player on that team, every coach on the team, every student manager on the team uh, to take things as seriously and to have that individual ownership, uh, I think is a big credit to them for having the discipline and the desire to play uh, to be able to, to do that and to make it through the season uh, the way that the Tarios did. So that's point number one. Um, but to your to your question, yeah, it was absolutely um, just a weird experience, and, and it changed a little bit, of course, as the year went along. And you know, there were a handful of fans that were allowed in, in Keenan Stadium and at the different road venues that the Tarheels went to. But you know, the Syracuse game in Chapel Hill, the the game up at BC, the game in, in Durham against Duke, you know, there there were no fans in, in the stadium, and it definitely uh, created just a, an odd atmosphere. Um, yeah, I, I remember. The the moment that it really stood out to me was actually that BC game. And Anthony, you may remember, you know, Boston College had made a comeback late and, mm-hmm. and had a two-point conversion opportunity uh, that if, if it had converted, would have tied the game. And I just remember thinking, gosh, you know, you're, you have this huge moment in a game and, you know, the home team has, from Boston College's perspective, has made this, you know, really impressive drive to come and, and have, has this play to try to tie the game at the end. And it was just dead silent in there. And it just realized how different it was and how weird it was um, to, to have that kind of atmosphere for a big game, an ACC matchup, and a big moment in the game, and, and just nothing. And so um, it, it was certainly unique and odd. Um, but I think it's something that as the year went along that, that you became more accustomed to and, and certainly didn't shock the system as much as it did early on in the year. What was it like to have Lee in the booth with you? Because Lee, hey, look, he said that he, he loved being up there with you, everything like that, but he loves being on the sideline. So that must have been a pretty unique experience with having him up there as a guy that's been, you know, patrolling the sidelines and really likes to have his his ear on everything that's going on sure. for Tar football. Yeah, and first let me say that Lee did an awesome job. Yeah, I know that he was, um, I don't know if nervous is the right term, but he was just a little hesitant about it because, um, you know, that's not what he normally does on our broadcast. As you said, he's been on the sideline now uh, for nearly two decades before I was, you know, that including the, the, the last several years of, of Woody's tenure mm-hmm. in Chapel Hill. And so it's a, it's a role that he's really embraced and does a terrific job uh, with it. But I, I thought he just did an awesome job um, this year. Nobody knows the, the history of Carolina football. Nobody knows uh, the personnel of Carolina football like Lee does. And I just thought he did a terrific job. You know, we, we certainly missed Brian Simmons, and, and Brian was able to be with us uh, 
in person for the Florida State game and also the game, uh, the Orange Bowl uh, matchup against Texas A&M. And he joined us in, in pregame and in postgame for a segment for every game. Um, and he's just excellent. You know, Brian's a guy who's a All-America at Carolina and played 10 years in the NFL and then uh, was a scout for the Jaguars after that. And so, I mean, he, he knows the game inside and out. And so we certainly missed having Brian in that role. Um, but I thought Lee stepped in and did a terrific job. And, you know, Anthony, where I'm where I'm so lucky is that, you know, I think the three of us, even though Brian hasn't been with us for that long, you know, I think the three of us really have good chemistry together. And, and that wouldn't have worked if, if we didn't. And so um, to be able to, to just ask Lee to dramatically change what he's doing um, and for him to be able to seamlessly step in and, and bring a different perspective, uh, of course, than Brian does, mm-hmm. but still bring a, a really valuable one to our listeners and, and really add to the broadcast. Um, we're really fortunate that we have some people like that that are able to, to cover Carolina. So, you know, we certainly hope, and just quickly, the reason we did that is Brian actually lives down in Orlando, and so we just didn't think it made sense mm-hmm. for him to be on a plane, you know, twice a twice a week, every single week, because even for Carolina home games, he'd have to fly up here. And so right. we just thought in, in, the, in, in just an abundance of safety that that was the smarter thing to do. Um, and so certainly we hope that uh, next year Brian will be able to, to rejoin us in person and that Lee can be back where he's most comfortable and that's down on the sideline. Yeah, well, e- either way, you guys do a fantastic job. Always love listening to you guys whenever uh, we got a big game. Uh, lock in, listen to the Tar Heel Sports Network for those games. You know, let's turn on to the field, talk a little bit about what happened in 2020 and, you know, look, I, this Tar Heel backfield was just fantastic here in 2020. They, there was a group that was drawing comparisons at times to Reggie Bush and Lendell White, and the comparisons weren't that ludicrous. You know, you've been around Tar Heel athletics for a while now, especially Tar Heel football, which has seen a lot of really good backfields. Do you think that this could make an argument to be the best backfield that Carolina has ever had, just with the amount of production from this season? Absolutely. I think the the key word there that you used is production, um, because I think it, it was the most uh, the most spectacular Tar Heel backfield when it comes to what they were able to produce on the field in the pure numbers of it, the stats, the yards, the touchdowns, all those different things. Um, you know, we could sit here and argue for days, and it's a good argument to have. You know, is this the best duo that Carolina's ever had? You know, there was Curtis and Leon Johnson in the nineties, but before my time, but certainly there was Kelvin Bryant and Amos Lawrence together um, in, in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, you know, th- there have been some wonderful backfield duos for the Tar Heels, and certainly the game has changed as well. And there's, you know, maybe some unique challenges to be a running back in the late 70s compared to a running back now and some things may be easier, some things may be harder, whatever it might be. Um, But I think that Javante Williams and Michael Carter certainly have put themselves um, with the year that they had in that conversation. And and I'll be interested, Anthony, moving forward, Mm -hmm. if Carolina uses that approach more often, because I do think football, um, you rarely have just the one guy who's the workhorse back anymore. It, it just doesn't make sense necessarily for how the game has played in court. And I think for the individual, you know, you, you want to, uh, while you want to have the ball in your hands as much as possible, you also want to stay fresh and stay healthy um, for an entire season and then, you know, for the future as well. And so I think especially at that running back position, you, you want to have, 
have a couple of guys who can really produce at a high level. And so for Javante Williams and Michael Carter to understand that they uh, there was value in the two of them being successful. You know, neither one of them ever said, oh, you know, well, how come he gets the ball on the goal line? Or how come he gets more touches in the pass game? Or, you know, why was he in on this play? And I was... There was never one iota of that between those two players. And so for them to understand that the the combination of the two of them not only made Carolina better, but I think made them better as individuals um, was really impactful. And um, both just really good guys, good representatives of the program. I think they're both going to have an opportunity to have have success at the next level. And they put together one of, if not the finest season uh, by a Tar Heel backfield ever and and, you know just to go out the way they did with that Miami performance in the final game of the regular season um, stunning the numbers that they were able to put up in in that particular game and so uh, gosh it was fun to watch both of them all season long. Well it was also fun to watch the man that was slinging the ball around the yard uh, Sam Howell Yet again, another fantastic year. Uh, Finishes his sophomore season with 68 career touchdown passes tied with Darian Durant. You know, I asked Lee, and he told us the obvious answer. At this point, there's no doubt that Sam Howell is the best quarterback to ever play at Carolina. I think one of the big questions that we've got to ask ourselves now is, as he continues to climb the ranks, and we expect that he's probably going to come back next year and have another really big year from you know when we're sitting here right now, is this a guy that you could make a legitimate case to be the most talented Tar Heel to ever put on a football uniform? Well, I, I think that's a very relative statement. Uh, I mean, especially when you've had guys like Julius Peppers and Lawrence Taylor, who are two of the all-time greats uh, at their particular positions um, in the game of football. I mean, linebacker has never been the same since Lawrence Taylor was a linebacker. So, um, yeah, I think that's that's a big statement. Um, but I think also that there's so much focus now on the quarterback. Uh, and it's just the way that the game has evolved that there's a lot of responsibility on the quarterback. You know, he, that, that person, that player is making a lot of reads and choices within individual plays. You know, even that, you know, we all know this, you know, even during the, the play, if it's a run or a pass, you know, they, they've got all these different options that they can do. Right. So the quarterback has just taken on uh, greater responsibility, even I think in the last 10 years or so, um, in, in the game of football in total. And so when you have a player at that position who has been as successful as Sam has, it is going to be magnified. Um, and he has certainly stepped up uh, to that to that spotlight. And I think Anthony, what has made Sam Howell so successful is what he does away from the field. And, and, you know, he has the arm strength. He showed this year that he really wanted to be a more effective runner. He worked hard on that between his freshman and sophomore years, and he saw that pay off. Um, So he has all the the physical stuff is there. Um, What has separated him is how much work he puts in off the field. And, And when you have some Somebody 
who is willing to dedicate themselves to the level that he is off the field, who has the type of uh, really symbiotic relationship with his offensive coordinator and Phil Longo like Sam does. And, and then you mix in just the fact that he's got a big, strong arm and he can run and he sees the field well and you know doesn't make many mistakes all of those different things, that's when you have this incredible player at that position. And so um, I agree with Lee. Um, I, I don't think there's much doubt at this point that particularly in the modern day of football where that position is so important uh, that Sam Howell is at the top of the list. And so um, I think whenever his Carolina career is finished, it, he will be considered one of the best to play here at Carolina regardless of position. Um, because he has earned that with with what he's done on and off the field. Well, we're all, we're going to find out, you know, how just how good of a quarterback he is, just how legendary of a quarterback he is coming up in 2021. We got a little bit of a look at some of the guys that will be trying to help replace the production around him, but it's hard to sugarcoat it. It's going to be difficult to replace both Javante Williams and Michael Carter in the backfield, and then a guy that's extremely dynamic on the outside and wide receiver, Deami Brown, and his guy in the slot in Dad. Newsom, but if you're looking at the group of guys that we saw in the Orange Bowl and maybe even some of the other guys that didn't get to play due to injury or uh, just you know didn't get their opportunities yet, is there someone that you look at and think sticks out right now that you say to yourself, this could be the breakout player on the 2021 offense for the Tar Heels? Well, you know, I think from Carolina's perspective, the, the Tar Heels are in, I, I don't want to say better shape because I don't think they're in bad shape in either spot but I think they they certainly have a better idea of what they have at the wide receiver position because I think Carolina has um, some guys that have followed a very natural progression um, at the wide receiver spot of being somebody who, you know, maybe played a little bit earlier in their career and now are taking some steps forward, e- even as this season went along, for example, a guy like Josh Downs, who you know, came in with a, a really highly rated recruit, uh, could have played more this past season had he not been behind a, a veteran guy at Daz Newsome, but, you know, continued to produce, continued to be out there with flash every now and then as the season went along and then when the opportunity was there uh, in the Orange Bowl really stepped up and had a big game Um, so you know you have a guy like Josh Downs, you have Bo Corrales uh, returning uh, for a fifth year at the wide receiver spot, you have Emory Simmons, you have Chalfrey Brown Um, these are guys who have produced at that right below the top level as far as your your number one receiver um, that they produced at that level this season already and so you, you would expect them to naturally take a step forward as they get a little bit older and, and then step into some more chances in this upcoming year plus you know Carolina's bringing in uh, some really good wide receivers in this recruiting class and Gavin Blackwell and J.J. Jones and Kobe Pacehauer you know I mean these are guys that, that can play earlier in their career uh, compared to later. And that's not even to mention guys like Steven Gostell and uh, Justin Olsen 
who have seen the field from time to time, but certainly feel like they can, you know, take a step forward as well. And so I think that group, Anthony, is one that you feel good about because you have varying levels of experience. You have different types of receivers as far as kind of body types, their strength, etc. And I think Carolina has really done a good job building the depth and talent at that wide receiver spot. I think running back is a different story. Um, but again, I don't want it to, to seem like our throwing materials are, are in trouble there. I just think they know less about what they have. Right. Um, because DJ Jones and Elijah Green just didn't have to play a whole lot this past year, and, and why would they? I mean, you, you wanted the ball in Michael Carter and Javante Williams' hands. And so you've got two talented freshmen and those two players. You've got Josh Henderson and British Brooks, who played a, a fair amount in the Orange Bowl. You know, Josh has been uh, a backup his first couple of seasons. British Brooks is a special teams demon, uh, is a walk-on, but I thought he proved very capable mm-hmm. at that uh, running back spot. Um, but you've also got two good players coming in um, at the wide receiver, uh, at the uh, running back position, including Caleb Hood, who's a big, powerful runner. And so so um, I think that Carolina will have, and with the, the news this week of getting the graduate transfer from Tennessee and Ty Chandler, um, I, I think the number one thing you're going to have at that position is competition. Um, you, you've got a bunch of different guys, again, different kind of sizes and skill sets, and, and you just have to wait and see who rises to the top. I, I think Carolina feels like they have plenty of options there and guys who can be good, but now you have to go see them actually produce on the field, which is why I think that that position is a little bit behind the wide receiver one at this moment. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. Uh, you know, we were just talking uh, last night to a guy that uh, does some film breakdown for Tennessee, and there's a lot uh, of excitement around Ty Chandler. This is a guy that a lot of people feel like just didn't have a great fit in the system there, was recruited by Robert Gillespie. So, uh, yeah, I think that's the big thing is that I've heard from a lot of people around the ACC that they think this offense is going to take a, a big step back. And I just don't I don't think that's, that's necessarily the case, especially with a veteran offensive line up front. You know, you go over to the defensive side of the ball, Jones, and there is a lot of promise for this group. You know, again, we saw it in the Orange Bowl. Most people, if you're just looking at the box score, you're going to see 41 points and say, how well could this defense have actually played? But we saw as the year went along, there are some really, really talented young players on this defense. You know, in your mind, is this a finally, you know, because we heard it under Larry Fedora, we saw times under, you know, Gene Chizik as the defensive coordinator, where it felt like things were going in the right direction. But does it feel like Carolina is finally moving towards being a problem for ACC offenses in the near future? Yeah, no, real quick, Anthony, let me go back. I failed to mention Kamaro Edmonds, who's the other of those uh, right. freshmen coming in next season for Carolina at the running back spot um, out of Havelock, North Carolina, who is going to compete, I think, at a high level, too, um, in, in that mix next year. So I want to make sure I mention him because um, I think he will be in the mix for the heels of that spot. Um, now, to your question about the defense, um, I think it's important to remember – how good Carolina was on defense by the time Matt Brown left the first time around. Um, he understood the, the value of being good on that side of the ball. Now, certainly the game is different now. We know how good and dominant offenses are. We saw it in the national championship game this year. I mean, Alabama, uh, 
has totally revamped its identity here over the last few years from being a, a real dominant defensive team to being a team that, that is so good on the offensive side but can also make enough stops on the defensive side. And so that's where I think um, Carolina was a little bit farther behind uh, just as far as its depth and its talent on that side of the ball when Mac Brown arrived. And I think that's why you've seen the Tar Heels be so uh, – stringent in their desire to to recruit big-time players on that side of the ball. And, and so when you go through that Orange Bowl and you have, at the time, 16 of the 17 guys who made a tackle in that game uh, were expected to return the next season. That's now 17 of 17 because Demond Fox was the one who made a tackle that was not expected to return, but as we know, uh, changed his mind. Um, so when you have guys who have played at that level and have that level of experience, even though they are relatively young, um, that's really exciting. And and then when you think about that, plus the fact that Carolina is bringing in uh, such an exciting recruiting class with some really impactful players uh, on that defensive side of the ball, you know, whether that's Javari Ritzy or Power Eccles or uh, Ra Ra Dilworth or Keyshawn Silver. I mean, these are all guys that, that Carolina feels like can compete and can help them relatively early in their Carolina careers because of their talent level. And that's not to mention, you know, Tony Grimes, who stepped up so big at the end of the year. Des Evans, who uh, grew as the season went along and, and made some big plays. Miles Murphy, uh, who had a uh, Cayman Rucker. Clyde Pender. Um, th- these are all guys who, who are really young players. And so when you're starting to build that level of talent, but more importantly, the depth of talent um, on that side of the ball, I I just think that that's what, of all the things to be excited about, I I think for Carolina football, seeing that growth on the defensive side in the next year or two is going to be really cool because I think Mac Brown, again, understands the value of being good on that side of the ball and and it's hard to be a dominant defense anymore in, in football and in college football, but if you can have a team that is built with speed and athleticism and flying around and you can rotate guys in and you don't take a step back when you bring in your second uh, team guys, um, that, that's when you've become pretty darn good. And I think Carolina's maybe not quite there yet, but but certainly the Tar Heels have taken some big strides in that area here uh, in the first couple of years under Chris Brown. Yeah, and I think definitely this year you saw it as the season progressed primarily in that front four. You started seeing a lot of guys that they would pull guys off the field uh, that have been out there for a while, like Tamari Fox, Raymond Velasic, who you could see were getting worn down. And the guys that came in, I mean, they, you know, it, it, there were times where the play was even elevated, which is so, I mean, just, just special. That's what you want to see uh, from this team. You know, I, when you look back at this 2020 season, it's going to be seen as a success. You know, we've asked the fans that on the podcast they have said without a doubt it is but I feel like there's still you know you look back at games against Florida State and Virginia and you say to yourself man this team could have been right there in the conversation for the college football playoff because those were very winnable games that you just couldn't come away with you know from being you know in in person calling those games what do you think is you know was the difference in those games and how how does Carolina sort of eliminate that as they go forward yeah, it's a good question, and I also want to say, and I know you weren't suggesting this, you know, I, 
I think even if Carolina wins both those games, and again, those were very Carolina was better than those two teams this year. I'm not suggesting that the Tar Heels weren't. Right. I, I'm not so sure the end result of the season is any different. Uh, yeah, I think Carolina right. probably ends up in the Orange Bowl. I think that the Tar Heels were not as good as Notre Dame uh, the yep. day that they played, and probably in total this season. Um, so I'm not sure it necessarily would have affected the end result of the year. And again, I know you aren't suggesting that, uh, but. I I, I do think that was the case this season. Mm-hmm. Um, now, to, to better answer your question, I, I think it is very much a matter of understanding the neighborhood that you're in. Because um, don't forget, I mean, the Tar Heels have gone up to number five in the country before that four state game, which yeah. was crazy. Yeah, the, the Tar Heels were, I think we can say, I mean, the Heels were um, somewhere between 11 and 20 this year. And you could probably make an argument, you know, for anywhere in that in that window um, of where the Tar Heels would have been accurately ranked. And so I think a lot happened fast for Carolina um, with, with that ranking and, and just the expectations. And, and with all of that comes the attention that you're going to draw from the opposition and the amount of criticism that you're going to receive and the amount of eyes that are on your games when you're playing big games like that. And that's just not a neighborhood that the Tar Heels have been living in a little bit uh, here recently. So I think being able to experience that hopefully helps you going down the line. And I think, I mentioned Notre Dame. I I think the Notre Dame game helped Carolina win the Miami game. And and I think Carolina playing in that Notre Dame game and playing in the Miami game helped them, you know, go toe-to-toe with Texas A&M until the last couple of minutes when when the Aggies took control and ended up winning the Orange Bowl. I, I think those experiences help you be ready for it in the future. Um, and so I, I do think some of those th- those two losses, I, I think Carolina just wasn't quite ready or um, uh, it wasn't quite aware uh, of the circumstance that it was in. Does Mac Brown understand that? Yeah, he understands that. And he can tell his players. That, does Mac Brown's staff get that? Yeah, of course they do. But the, the players have to be there, respond, understand. And, and I think they, they will do that better now mm-hmm. that when – now when Carolina football rolls into Tallahassee, you know, they're going to have the full attention of Florida State. It, it's not, oh, who are we playing this week? Oh, Carolina, okay. It, it's the, the Tar Heels are there, and, and you better be ready to go. And you're going to get uh, the best shot from the opposition week in and week out. And, and you have to be ready uh, for that level of play from your opponent uh, that's that that's near the top of their capability every single week. It's, it's what you see is what Carolina basketball sees every single time it plays. You're going to see close to the top level uh, of that team's ability. And so you have to be able to match that week in and week out. And I don't think this team was quite used to that yet. I think going through this season has certainly helped them learn some of those lessons. And I think you saw it as the year went along that they were better prepared for it. Yeah, and it feels like heading into next year, there's going to be a lot of teams that are going to be giving Carolina their best shot because it looks like they're going to be pretty highly ranked from a lot of the top 25, uh, you know, way too early top 25s that we've been seeing. So, uh, yeah, I, I think there's, you know, definitely uh, the most excitement that I've seen around Carolina 
football in an offseason in a long time. It's very, very rare that at this point of the offseason, you hear people talking about what could be next for Carolina football and really be excited about it. So uh, it's definitely a great time that we're living in for Carolina football. Uh, we just have to hope that soon we'll be able to uh, get some people in the stands to be able to watch these games in person and create a little bit of an environment. Hey, Jones, thanks for stopping by with us, man. This was fantastic. You know, it's always great talking to you, and uh, I know you you are grinding right now. Uh, Carolina basketball looks like they're getting together a little bit, so that's definitely very helpful. Um, but, yeah, just uh, keep doing what you're doing. Take care, and, uh, you know, uh, I, I, we'll talk to you down the line sometime uh, probably around uh, the start of next season. All right, man? Sounds great, Anthony. Always appreciate the time and uh, look forward to talking with you again in the near future. All right, Jones. Thank you very much. All right, that's Jones Angel, the voice of the Tar Heels, stopping by with us. And, uh, yeah, just uh, some fantastic stuff there from Jones. Uh, you know, just uh, pretty much putting it into perspective of exactly what we saw this year uh, from the Tar Heels in 2020. A lot of excitement around this team going forward, and we've got you covered throughout the entire offseason. HeelToughBlog.com's got you. Uh, you can go on to the website now. There's some really great stuff. You can go back, look at the 2020 uh, final grades. We have uh, each position group graded out, do a little bit of a breakdown on each position group as well to explain our grade uh, so you can you know get a little bit of a feel of where exactly we feel like this Tar Heel team was at this season. Uh, there's a lot of guys, as Jones mentioned, that are coming back next season. Uh, so that's a good way to get a feel for it. Also, the stock report from the bowl game. That's going to be relevant the entire offseason. So make sure you go back and read that. See who was trending up after the bowl game. Some guys that got their first career starts. Some guys that you know still played some pretty big roles and will be back again next year. We're on there. So make sure that you go back and check that out. And uh, of course, we've got you covered everything recruiting-wise. We've had you covered with everything transfer portal-wise, which is basically becoming its own uh, entity in the college football offseason. So we've got you covered with that. We may even have to create a category on the website for that. Of course, uh, you can go back, read uh, Ty Chandler's commitment article that we have. Uh, you know, We kind of break down what we expect from him after uh, he transferred to Carolina. It'll be his final year of eligibility, so he'll only be there for one year, but see what he brings to the table for this 2021 backfield uh, that will sort of help bolster uh, what outside of him is going to be a pretty young unit. And uh, there's some other stuff on the website, too, that you can check out for football. Also, basketball team, as we mentioned, they are getting their stuff together here. Uh, it seems three in a row for Carolina basketball, including a big win over Syracuse the other night in the Smith Center. Make sure you go online, read that, uh, all that great basketball coverage that we've got for you guys. Mark Krings uh, has been handling a lot of the recaps. Josh Marlowe's got Marlowe musings on the website as well that you can check out. So go back and check all that out. And then, of course, we've got baseball, which is right around the corner. Again, we'll have some light baseball coverage this year. It's not going to be quite as in-depth as basketball or football, but it's still going to be relatively, uh, it'll be you know in-depth enough where you'll be able to keep up and uh, still keep tabs on Tar Heel Baseball during the spring. Uh, that that's it for the website. So make sure that you uh, like and follow the Facebook page. That'll get you all of those articles that we put out. It'll be right on your feed there since you're liking and following the Facebook page. And the other great thing is since we've moved to a video platform, which again, a lot of these that we're doing right now are waveforms. Uh, you know, we do the ones where me and Josh are in person. Uh, we we usually do on camera, so you guys can see that. We got graphics that we pull up and everything like that. That'll come back uh, almost exclusively during the 
the regular season, but we will still do ones in the off season at time from time to time. I uh, do involve that. So if you like and follow the Facebook page, it'll give you a notification whenever we're previewing, uh, uh, premiering a video, I should say, uh, and you'll be able to click on that and go right to the video. And then finally, for you guys listening to the podcast, we've had so many that have stayed loyal to us listening uh, to the podcast for uh, right around three years now. Uh, we just ask you that if you do, please uh, rate, review, and subscribe on any of the platforms that you're on, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, uh, TuneIn. I think it's still on there. Uh, it's plenty of spots that you can go and listen to the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. The rating and reviewing will move us up those rankings so that people that haven't found us just yet can find us, can listen to this great edition of the podcast, can listen to Power T's Austin Burlidge, who was with us last night to break down Ty Chandler's uh, chances to uh, have success with Carolina. Uh, you know, Lee Pace got that edition also. So many great editions of the podcast that we have uh, in, you know, in the past uh, that people can go back and listen to and in the future. We're going to do the same thing that we did last year. We're going to try to get a bunch of former Tar Heels on. Uh, there are going to be a bunch of journalists that are going to be stopping by with us, too, to talk about uh, the Tar Heels. And before you know it, spring ball will be here. So uh, it is an exciting time for Carolina football. Make sure that you uh, have the ear on it uh, when it comes to that by subscribing to the Heel Tough Walk podcast so that it is right in your uh, podcast feed. Uh, when you do that, uh, you, you, it'll, you know, anytime we put together a new episode, we throw it up there. It'll be right in your podcast library so that you can listen to it. So, once again, want to thank Jones Angel for stopping by with us. Want to thank you guys for watching and listening. And as always, go for heels.